Welcome to Inviting Doom, a podcast about faith, bad theology, and stepping into ideas marked as dangerous for the soul. I'm Sarah, one of your hosts. And I'm Krista. We'd love you to join us as we unlearn old beliefs, navigate current issues, and explore the previously unexplored religious frameworks in our lives. Hi, everyone. Um, It's been a while because we've been adjusting to new schedules and things like that. And for both of us, it's been a bit busy um, on both of our ends. Krista's started back full-time work, and that's always an adjustment when you have a kid who's needs attention and sleeping at certain times and but we're going to jump right in because we wanted to continue our conversation on trauma and we had talked our last session about Emily Hedick's piece um on sort of the fight flight fawn freeze responses and she had quoted a family therapist called Pete Walker and in her article and Walker had described fawning as when a toddler essentially learns very quickly that protesting any kind of abuse or protesting um, a situation, it's leading to a more frightening retaliation. Um, So a threat comes after protest. And so from a very young age, the child learns to give up or relinquish the ability to say no because retaliation um, will come if there's any fears uh, described or any um, hesitation described or any rejection of what's happening is described, there will be some sort of retaliation to her protests. Um, And uh, Hedick had said, people who fawn are excellent listeners, constantly open for suggestion and criticism, willing to sacrifice their own health in order to appease others and ripe for burnout, burnout. And so Krista had come across um, three new articles, um, which I'll let her introduce on religious trauma as we kind of wanted to just flesh this out a bit more of, I guess, the state of it in, in, um, in counseling circles and what religious mm-hmm. trauma even means and where it sits sort of currently uh, in terms of being studied and being understood. Um, and then we'll, we'll kind of just go into it from there. Yeah. I think that it's um, been an interesting journey because as we talk through trauma, we we can um, see the areas in our own lives where this has come up, but then when you read articles uh, that are more scientific in nature, uh, it gives you some validity, but also um, makes it a little bit more academic and you become more of an observer mm-hmm. than um, involved in it, which I think was really helpful for me with reading these. Uh, articles. So the the articles that we're referencing today all come from Dr. Marlene Winnell, and she is the person who actually coined the term religious trauma syndrome. Um, and she she holds a PhD. The, the articles were posted in Cognitive Behavioral Therapy today, um, and quite credible work that she's done, incredible work that she's done, and has um, given a lot of validity to this uh, syndrome of sorts. And it's not yet in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, but those things take a lot of time and uh, study. 
before they actually get the credibility of being in the manual. And um, it always comes with some sort of uh, like care plan. And I think a lot of that's still in the air because uh, it's it's just new. It's new mm-hmm. in the conversation and whatnot. Um, so we've talked about trauma several times on the podcast. And so th- we just wanted to go through this a bit to actually like name and define what it actually is and how it's shown up in our own lives. Um, because assuming our listeners are similar to us, you guys have also been on a journey and this could be really eye-opening for you as well. So um, Dr. Winnell, she describes religious trauma syndrome as a set of symptoms and experiences that some individuals may face as a result of harmful and traumatic religious experiences which include um, authoritarian, dogmatic religious beliefs and the struggle to leave them behind. It includes the damage of indoctrination or abuse and the resulting cluster of psychological symptoms. Mm. So there's there's a couple problems with religious trauma syndrome. I think when people uh, initially read that, they might think, oh, well, my, my church wasn't abusive Mm. like I wasn't sexually abused I wasn't hit things like that but when there's an authoritarian um, doctrine or even just an environment where if you have to believe this to belong you are in a position where it's like the toddler that you were describing in the intro if you protest in any way there will be retaliation and so you're not in a free and safe environment and that can breed a lot of difficulties in our lives, um, as we've both attested to hmm. in other podcasts. Um, so really with the religious trauma syndrome, the main two problems, it's a twofold problem. Really, it's not only are the actual teachings and practices of the religion, like evangelicalism, toxic and can create lifelong damage. Uh, But also, if you choose to leave or you choose to separate yourself from that, there is a significant loss to you and your identity and reconstructing your entire life and your entire worldview, um, basically from the ground up. And that is the biggest thing, I think, for my journey is not understanding the magnitude of how religion and faith and church community and um, ideas and how it, how I'm supposed to be a good woman or a good wife, all of that touches every facet of my life mm-hmm. and trying to deconstruct. There isn't a single area that you can hold on to almost as, well, this is who I am, or I don't know anything else, but I know that to be a good wife, I make dinner or you know, just like the silly example <laughs> yeah. like there's just really nothing left that you can hold on to as like true as you're leaving religion and so thankfully Dr. Winnell has started really studying this and it's become a bit more popular um, there's a lot of people online now posting about it and um, sharing their uh, quote-unquote testimonies I don't know if I should use the word <laughs> Anti- testimonies <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people will cringe at the word testimonies if they have deconstructed <laughs> yeah. depending on where they are in their in their walk but uh, <laughs> thankfully she's done a lot of work there to give it some definition and explain the signs and symptoms of how it can show up in your life mm-hmm. um, and actually giving you the the structure to say okay not only are these teachings sometimes very harmful depending on how they're interpreted and applied to you but then there's this 
the second component of if you decide to do something about those harmful uh, doctrines and theology, then there's this whole other beast to tackle of how you negotiate your life and your identity. I know somewhere in here too, I had, we had put the definition and I can't find it right now. Um, a, I keep scrolling back and forth. Yeah, I think that you pretty much did cover it though and sort of that okay. idea, that religious trauma syndrome, and I think maybe to expand on it a little bit, is that uh, something that you had already touched on that it's not a specific, it can be, but it's not a specific abuse situation. So yes, Mm -hmm. abuse does happen in church and and we should touch on how actually sometimes church culture and structure is conducive to abuse because of hierarchy, because of lack of outside influence, whatever. Um, But it's not like a specific instance of, you know, being sexually abused, being physically abused, mentally emotionally abused uh because that is easier to study and that's what most of our trauma studying i believe deals with is like these instances of war of rape of um maybe smaller things like uh being physically attacked when you're outside or or something and so you have these ptsd symptoms around a specific event um Religious trauma syndrome is trying to look at a whole sort of underneath system of almost like slow burn trauma from when, especially kids who are raised in church, um, who are absorbing a lot of quite traumatic ideas from a very young age where they're not able to distinguish or discern, which is a very churchy word but kids are not able to discern what is true and what isn't or have alternate ways to frame things and so while a parent may be sitting in a congregation and filtering through their own lenses and their own choices what a pastor is saying and they're saying oh I don't want to think about that now or this doesn't affect me or I'll box that up for later or mm, I'm, I'm slightly disagreeing with this. I'm not really sure how I feel about that. And they're sort of keeping that to themselves. The child that they've brought to church is being told that every word is true. The Bible is infallible. Um, the pastor obviously has the authority to be the person leading the church and they are literally absorbing every single message as real and as true. And I think um, that sort of slow burn long term trauma or exposure to that, like I think um, Dr. Winnell had said that there was this essentially, you have this backdrop of eternal damnation and the the annihilation of unbelievers, right? So this is a terrifying backdrop for children to learn that if they don't conform and obey, that the end result is eternal damnation and annihilation. And you're thinking that, okay, well, the problem is, is that parents themselves aren't uh, rejecting their children uh, from that young age, or parents aren't always... Um, saying that they'll reject their children. Um, You often have very great, amazing parents within this theological system. Mm -hmm. But the parents are teaching their children 
to be disciples of God and teaching their children to orient themselves towards God who will abandon the children if the children don't obey and believe. Um, And so there's like these verses, you know, about Jesus talking about how in comparison to the relationship with him, you have to hate your family. And whoever turns their their hand away from the plow or turns back to look at what's behind them and what they're leaving behind on this journey, you know, that that causes all sorts of problems and, and affects the possibility of their salvation. And so you have very complicated theological ideas that you are handing to children about how safe and secure they are from a young age when children's entire wiring is to try and feel safe and secure and need to feel safe and secure like I'm from things that I've read I'm not a child um like a a child behavioral psychologist or anything but from what I've seen and read a lot of maladaptive things and poor child development comes from when children are neglected and abandoned and so children develop better when they are in safe, secure, uh, unconditional relationships. And what you're telling children from a very young age is like, the parents may love them, but ultimately the parents are earthly vessels and, and will pass away. But what doesn't pass away is God. And God is saying through the pastor, there is annihilation and damnation and your salvation could be up in the air, depending on how well you obey. If you love, if you love me, obey me. And so I think that is what religious trauma syndrome is trying to get at: is how deeply uh, fused children and as you become young adults, how deeply fused those things are to your very being, because you're told that without fusing yourself to the vine, God is the vine and we are just the branches. And if we're, you know, separate from him, we just wither up and die. Um, You're told to fuse yourself to these sets of ideas and this deep obedience and submission to what are uh, portrayed as and held out as God's ways. And so you learn very early on to just say no even if it feels uncomfortable, even if you disagree with the message, even if you are seeing negative outcomes in your life, you just reject those things and reject that information. You reject your body and what it's telling you. You reject outside information. You reject study. You reject, you know, non-Christian friends. You reject all of these things that maybe paint any kind of doubt or any kind of um, questioning in your mind because your security and your um, very be- like ability to be alive and to survive depends on you molding yourself to a very strict, very stringent set of ideals. And so it becomes very difficult, this religious trauma aspect of later on in life when you actually are forced to come to a point where you um, question those beliefs, you're forced to question them, and you're forced to reckon with some of the outcomes of those beliefs in your lives because they're no longer sustainable, which is in my instance, which I mean, I I haven't really delved into it or talked about it much, um, and I, I do intend to at one point, but you're forced to reckon with the outcomes of some of these systems and teachings, 
about yourself, about the world, about marriage, about your body, about relationships, about history, about all of these things. And as soon as you do, as soon as you question one thing, the validity of one thing, you then therefore have to question the validity of everything. And it's just like opening the floodgates to moving from this very strict black and white structure that very safely encompasses all aspects all aspects of being alive and the validity of it all of a sudden starts to crumble away because it housed everything and once you say well hold on did is god really the kind of god who is going to just annihilate his entire creation that doesn't obey him perfectly or it might be lukewarm and he's going to spit them out of his mouth or as soon as you question that because you've been told the bible is totally infallible and totally true on every aspect and it's perfectly aligned and uniform you question that one thing and all of a sudden you have to question if you have any any sense at all you have to question well then is what i've been taught about my body the same is it also true is it it was what i've been taught about marriage true is what i have been taught about politics true or history true and suddenly that all comes at once and then you have no framework you've gone from a very rigid solid understanding of the world that is very safe and you suddenly go into just this total unknown where you have no idea what the answers are to any of those things and i think uh, Dr. Winnell had touched on something about the it being a one-stop shop. And so I thought that was a really good point because in her article she was saying like the one-stop shop thing is like you go to church, as you and I have taught Krista like four or five, six times a week sometimes, mm-hmm. depending on mm-hmm. events or whatever. And your friends stem from there, your social life stems from there, your child care stems from there, your job connections can stem from there, your schooling, like through homeschooling and stuff can stem from there, uh, even food sources like potlucks and stuff stems yeah. from there. Um, everything stems from, it's like the Walmart, right? It's like, it's like the Walmart of getting everything in one place and your yeah. spiritual fulfillment. Um, and suddenly you, you haven't actually from a young age worked on having a diverse set of circles to pull from for your fulfillment, for your mm-hmm. relationship information, for your connections, for your jobs, for your understanding of reality. Um, and that as well is a struggle. You know, it's like suddenly you, you went to one place and you got everything packaged in a nice black and white box and suddenly you don't have that anymore, or, or at least you're questioning parts of it. And yeah. suddenly it's like, well, where do I get my friends from now? And as an adult, it's even hard because everyone's so busy. You know, you have to actually reform and really work on a new quote unquote body that you connect to and get your mm-hmm. care from and your, your, your meaning and your purpose. Um, and so that whole thing is just this big mess of clear, simple, reductionist simplicity about reality, where all your friends and everyone believes the same thing, your education supported those same beliefs, your uh, care and and, and help and counseling into your life supported all those same beliefs, your your spouse came from that group, um, to then suddenly it's just 
you just don't know and it's totally open Mm -hmm. and that has all of these cognitive effects it has very well like somatic like in body effects of anxiety and uh terror and stress it has practical effects of no longer having friends no longer having uh even relationships with parents sometimes etc etc so yeah it's now finally getting recognized that that in itself that uh, detangling oneself from that mm-hmm. rigidity creates a whole pile of these traumas that are very difficult yeah. to navigate. And that's what religious trauma syndrome is trying to attempt to house as well, in addition to like trauma that happens in churches that is abuse or is specific yeah. events, right? Well, and I think that it's important to note too that like as we're talking, some of those things just sound so heavy handed or so um, like concrete. And mm-hmm. so when I look at my own life and my own journey, I think, well, my my faith didn't look like that. You know, mm-hmm. my faith didn't seem like it was strict. It didn't seem heavy handed. It didn't seem like people were going to cut me out of their lives and, and, and not care for me. And in, in a lot of regards, I felt like I had a really good childhood and really good parenting and a pretty decent church Mm -hmm. and i think that that's where some of this gets really confusing for others and for myself as well it's like you can have a really a lot of really good and wonderful things taking place and alongside that you can have difficult harmful and toxic teachings and practices happening at the same time they're not mutually exclusive Mm -hmm. And, you know, my parents were really good at telling me that, you know, God loved me and he knew my heart. And, you know, I didn't feel like I was going to be thrown into hell if I did the wrong thing. You know, there are specific teachings like that, that when I see other people's journey, I think, oh, I didn't feel like that, that I don't resonate with that particular thing. But that doesn't mean that I felt like I had agency to have a difference of opinion mm. or explore a difference of opinion. And once, once I had kind of a life upset, then it was like what you said, where if one thing isn't true in my framework, then I have to start questioning other things. And so I think I just wanted to highlight the fact that there can be some really beautiful things about church that people sincerely enjoy and that are actually great. Community is great. There can be people who actually generally care for you and want to bring you food and show up in your lives. And those are all great things. Um, It can be a source of comfort and support, like we've been saying, but at the same time, it can also be a source of psychological harm and trauma. And it's, that's what makes it so hard to even identify in your own life. Um, It took me a really long time to even be able to put the words or concept of that in my own world because there were so many lovely people that I love so much and respect, even though we have differences in views and whatnot, that it was like, well, if I love these people and I can see how good they can be, then surely this shouldn't be traumatic or something. Mm -hmm. You explain away some of the things that... There's almost a bit of shame there. Yeah, and it's like trying to realize that there can be some dissonance right that both things can be true this community can have great things and beautiful moments and everything and it can also have things that don't sit right and 
when you're, for me, when I was working in ministry, I would have these kind of like inner nudges of like almost like nauseousness when <laughs> yeah. um, things would take place and you're like, oh, that does not sit right with me. And then is the inner dialogue and positioning and submitting yourself to Christ or the um, social norm of, you know, well, I believe in submitting to authority and they're an authority and surely they know better than me and mm -hmm. I need to, you know, keep my heart aligned with God and all, you know, just all these explaining away of any negative perception I would have about leadership or the church or the practices because surely I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of that kind of explaining away is so that you can stay somewhat comfortable in that environment it is a coping mechanism a lot i always think it's a lot like stockholm syndrome where you can have affection and defend the people who are keeping you captive and a lot of listeners may think that's heavy-handed and i do that kind of on purpose too because the church does keep us captive in a lot of ways they keep us captive to certain ideals certain theology certain practices and there isn't a lot of room for diversity of thought or debate or, you know, anything like the sort. And mm -hmm. especially if you're a woman. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I think that it's just really important for listeners and even for myself still moving forward in this journey to remember that all the things that I think that are, are lovely about church that I miss, that I still grieve, are in fact probably still great and lovely in some places and that doesn't disqualify the fact that I've been hurt or that I'm healing or mm -hmm. that I'm finding a better way or trying to find a better way. Yeah, and I think like a, a couple things that you touched on, I think that is actually sometimes what makes it more complicated to question. Like you pointed yeah. out, it's because you have the good people. Uh, someone once said to me early in my confession of my journey of like, oh, but think of all the amazing people in the church. I'm like, yeah, that's why it was hard because because they were kind people, I believed everything they said. And I didn't question anything that they said about God or the nature of reality or whatever. It's far easier to recognize bad ideas or even outright lies when someone is a terrible person. It's yeah. far more difficult when it's a mix, right? When it's a mix of things where you're like, this person's really lovely or these leaders are really amazing. Um, and yet there's this like embeddedness of little sprinkling of these terrible ideas. And it yeah. makes it hard, like you said, and like love covers a multitude of sins. You're encouraged all the time to wash over or to whitewash the real issues that are impacting like your gut or impacting mm -hmm. your anxiety or your health or because people are good and you see the good and you enjoy the community and I think a harmful aspect of that too is that it's not like part of the problem is that you're told that these good things the things that you do enjoy about the community that those good things are only found in Christianity. And mm -hmm. so you're like, you'll not have a meaningful relationship with another person if Christ isn't involved. You'll not have connection to your spouse or your partner if Christ isn't involved. You'll not have a healthy marriage if Christ isn't involved. You'll not have um, a meaningful purpose-driven job if Christ isn't involved. You'll not have a community that is as deep 
as a church community. It will be shallow and superficial. And so you have, well, on the one hand, you have all these things that you do enjoy about community and people in it. You're simultaneously put in this position where you're told you'll never have it as good as you have it here. And that's an abuser's framework. If you're in a relationship that has red flags in it and the partner says to you, you can't leave me because you'll never have it as good as you have it with me. That's like the number one (laughs) abuser's red flag relationship. It's like, you run, girl, you get out of there. (laughs) You know, like this idea that only your needs and your wants and your desires will only be met by this certain framework and by this certain thing then forces you to chop off or shut down parts of yourself in order to make sure that that community and that belief system around God is the answer. And that in itself, even if like you said, uh, Krista, you're not maybe necessarily afraid that God's going to reject you for doing something. Uh, I know you had articulated before that you did have fears about your community rejecting you. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's part of it is that somewhere deep down, even if you have a good relationship with God, which you and I both felt we really did, um, and maybe you don't think, okay, if I do a bad thing, God's going to throw me to hell. I, I, I never did believe that. I... Okay, side note, but one second. Um, But even if you have those things and you question those things, um, that framework is still there. So that framework of fearing that the community won't accept you or fearing that there might be a border there that you'll cross and you don't really know, that is underpinning the whole thing, which in itself is incredibly harmful, even if what you're in isn't that bad. So that idea of having, I'm not saying that there aren't boundaries in life, of course there are, but that, mm-hmm. that fear boundary that if you cross it somehow on some level where you're not sure or you go too far, I was always told to not get too far away from the center. It was like Christ is the center and somewhere if you wander too far from Christ, it's like you, you're going to fall off, you know, the flat earth or whatever, you know, you're just going to like fall off the end. And so you didn't always know where that boundary was. The point was that once you walk further away from the center, where the edges becomes increasingly gray and difficult to discern because Christ is the light in the center. And so best to just stick close as close as possible and conform to that center rather than wander around in the murkiness and then trip and fall off the edge into the abyss of separation from God forever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that, yeah, I think that just by fact that that boundary is there and that we are aware of that boundary. And I think on the thing with God, I was never worried that by doing something, God wouldn't forgive me or I would be um, expelled, you know, from his presence mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. But I was very aware that if I were to question God's existence <laughs> and if I were to be an atheist or if mm-hmm. I were to, it, it's one thing to do a bad thing and be know that you'll be forgiven and that God will still love you. It's another thing to fully understand that if you reject Christianity, you're not going to heaven. And I'm sure that you could probably, you might have had 
a feeling that God wasn't going to abandon you or wasn't going to leave you. But I, mm-hmm. I imagine that somewhere in the back of your conscious consciousness, um, there was this idea that if you rejected Christ, that mm-hmm. your salvation would be debatable. Nullified. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I feel like that's actually where I'm at in my walk right now, where I never felt like I had any anything kind of like hanging over me for like getting into heaven or anything. Mm. But now that I've been deconstructing, that's more prominent for me because what I struggle with these days is I just don't want to be an atheist. (laughs) I just don't want to be an atheist because I feel like if I get this wrong, I'm fucked. Well, she talked about that in the articles about the what if, what if I'm wrong state of deconstruction. The panic is real. I still hold on to some sort of ideals or concepts around like to to live well I guess I still have some of these frameworks in my in my mind and my body of like I need to just at, at least believe even if a lot of the details are gray yeah <laughs> I don't I don't want to become an atheist and really when I get down to it I don't want to become an atheist because there's a lot of fear there yeah um, and so it gets back to more of like the fear-based thing and, and a lot of days, I'm just trying my best to believe so that I'm not an atheist. Really, <laughs> I mean, atheists I didn't really, have a great reputation when we grew up. <laughs> well, you know, it's like my whole life, I've been told things about atheists. And I, I feel like I have a lot of room in my heart and my life for um, the unknown. And, yeah, you know, I kind of think, like, surely God had to have created this. Like, this is such a beautiful place. And, like, I just can't quite buy that there was nothingness and then there was somethingness. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's things like that, but um, it just comes back to that that idea of the journey is so long and it is lifelong mm. and we've been on it now for years and years and in a lot of ways I'm comfortable with my journey and where I'm at and yet there's still, there's still more and there's still yeah. problems that I'm untangling like, you know, I, like this, where totally. I'm just trying my best not to be an atheist for the sake of... Not being an atheist. For not being an atheist. <laughs> yeah. For, like, keeping an open door to a God that may or may not be there. Yeah. Because I'm afraid. And and that kind of segues into just touching on some signs and symptoms. Oh, I yeah, wanna, yeah. I want to get to this because... It's important. When there is chronic stress... Um, and again, stress can look so much different to different people and how they've experienced trauma within the church, either, you know, physical, sexual abuse to, you know, chronic, more underlying, abstract, mm-hmm. uh, kind of toxic ideas over time. All of that is actually occurring in our body and you can have a range of signs and symptoms and it we've been talking a lot about how that's kind of played out in our lives. And I think if you just listen to us in the first bit, you might think, oh, well, they're just confused and they're, they're working <laughs> out their thoughts. And that, that makes it seem a lot more rosy. Than yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there is a whole page list of signs and symptoms that people who have um, some sort of religious trauma syndrome could and can experience. And if you read through all of these, you could think, well, if you have anything on this list, like, I guess everybody has religious trauma syndrome because surely someone's going to, you know, check off some of these things. But when it's compared and um, held up against your experience within the church, you can you can really start seeing 
just like the patterns, I think. It was really good for me when I started reading through these to to put uh, some validity, I guess, to some of my experiences in my own life to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's that, is there? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you had the same experience when you're going through some of these signs and symptoms to be like, oh, I have sleeping problems. <laughs> oh, I have intrusive <laughs> thoughts. Oh, I'm not really great at making decisions for myself. Mm-hmm. I had like this whole thing going through there being like, I don't know, just epiphany after epiphany. Well, I mean, the blue ones that I've highlighted on our list are the ones that I suffer with. Okay, yeah. So let's just, so, I'm going to read through the black ones yeah. as well. And then we can kind of talk. Maybe if we yeah, just get let's to the ones that. that go for us, we can say, yes, I experienced this yeah. and, and whatnot. So um, initially, she talks about how these signs and symptoms compare with PTSD, where terror and helplessness set in. Mm-hmm. You can have an intrusive thoughts. Ding, ding for me. I have intrusive thoughts. <laughs> Um, negative emotional states, impaired social functioning. Um, I think I could say that I have had impaired social functioning because it's been hard for me to make friends or know which friends to make with because if you're not saved and... Friends can be dangerous, yeah. Yeah, friends can be dangerous. Yeah. Um, Confusion, like, yes, okay. (laughs) Okay, check. (laughs) I've been very confused. (laughs) Difficulty making decisions. Mm Mm-hmm. I have a very difficult time even knowing what I want, let alone making Mm -hmm. decisions. Yeah, yeah. Trouble thinking of self and lack of meaning of direction. That's kind of what I was just talking Mm -hmm. about, undeveloped sense of self. So that's just the two first two bullet points, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Carry on. (laughs) Yeah, number three, anxiety being in the world, panic attacks, fear of damnation, depression, thoughts of suicide, anger, bitterness, betrayal, guilt, grief and loss, difficulty expressing emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like where where to begin? <laughs> and then it goes on to sleep and eating disorders, substance use, nightmares, perfectionism, that's a huge one, discomfort with sexuality, ding, 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 negative body image, impulse control issues, difficulty enjoying pleasures or being present. Mm. We're, we still have two bullet points left. Yeah. Like, Listen up, people. <laughs> I think that, you know, I could almost go through every single thing here and say, yes, I've experienced this um, in conjunction with specifically my faith and the struggles I'm having with my faith. Um, so the last two, rupture of family and social networks, loneliness, problems relating to society, personal relationship issues, and the last one, self-worth separate from God. I think, and I think too, Krista, sometimes you and I, like we've talked about trauma quite a lot and sometimes I think the way we've talked about it has been fairly broad and I think people don't really understand like real concrete apart from our our podcast on sexuality which we are we're gonna do more of but there are real concrete things and a lot of these like we were just talking about you don't really notice the fear parameters until Krista, you were saying all of a sudden, once you start realizing that you're unwilling to question the validity of God, uh, God himself, you don't realize the level of fear that has been instilled in you because you've reached your parameter. You're like, yeah, I I'll keep God, but I'll, I'm not willing to entertain the idea that there might not be a God and see what evidence there is there for that, because that's just too far Mm -hmm. for me. And so once you realize that that system has instilled such a deep fear 
in you either about being lonely or being not worth anything if there is no God or there's no purpose if there is no God or there's no salvation if there is no God or all of these things attached to the concept of God. So there's that deep under set net of, of fear around what if there is no God and that you we all face that um, at some point in the deconstruction journey because once you start poking holes, you have to kind of, to be fair to finding truth, you have to be willing to look at those things and you have to be yeah. willing to examine those things and go where the truth takes you, right? Mm -hmm. or, well, you're going to go to the cornerstones for sure. You know, like some people actually think, oh, well, I'm just going to um, figure out this one little concept that's bothering me. Yeah, but yeah. Eventually you will get to you will get there. cornerstones. You will. And if you haven't hit some of those yet, I'm not sure that you're actually deconstructing. You're just, <laughs> you're know. just tweaking. You're tweaking. You're just this, tweaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the signs and the symptoms, you know, that Krista, you were sort of like ding, ding. On yeah, one like every single one. And every single one you, like I could talk about probably each one of these to mm -hmm. great extent, mm -hmm. like intrusive thoughts. Like, I don't, I don't know how to frame that very well, but like you can't move on with your day almost <laughs> until you have like figured out the problem because if you haven't figured out the problem then there's always what ifs and your everything's up in the air and you can't go to sleep because it's still stewing in your mind it's mm -hmm. almost like when you have a fight with your partner and you're thinking of all the all the reasons they're wrong <laughs> what they said and it's it's honestly kind of like that except it's between you and what god said and what the church said and yeah yeah so every single one of these can be packaged and wreak havoc on your life. Mm -hmm. And there isn't just one sign or symptom here. There's literally like eight or nine bullet points. Totally. Like, like six in each one. So when I was like, some of these occur while you're still like in church and believing yeah. that system. And that's sometimes why you have to start listening to uh, your body because these things become almost unbearable and they mm -hmm. affect your life and then yeah. some of these things set in as you start to deconstruct like I always had when I was in church I always had these demonic nightmares so and obviously mm -hmm. from a young age I was told there were demons roaming around it's sort yeah. of like the same argument where a lot of Christian parents uh, in in evangelical culture especially in the states have raged and ranted against video games they're like if you put you know violence in kids minds that's what they're going to do and that's what they're going to think about and that's what they're going to dream about and you're like okay well you've literally been putting demonology into my brain since i was three so of yeah. course i'm going to have demon dreams like because that is what i'm feasting on is spiritual warfare and arming yeah. myself and fighting like things that lurk around the corner and Satan is a, a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. So I had these like really intense uh, demonic dreams all the time uh, throughout way throughout Bible college, throughout my adulthood, even when I was first married uh, to my partner. Um, intense dreams that demons were like dragging me away. Um, and those stopped believe it or not, when I kind of got rid of the last of the worst of it. And I've never had a demon dream since. It's like yeah. a cleansing of yourself. Um, 
sleep and eating disorders. Um, I think on another t- on another show, I'll talk about my struggle with uh, eating disorder my whole life. I've never really opened up to many people about it, and it's weird to kind of talk about it on a podcast. But I'm 43. <laughs> I don't give a fuck anymore. You know, like it's like people deal with it, women deal with it, um, and it was hugely impactful in my life, and I'll talk about that later. But the sleep thing and the insomnia was a huge one for me because as I started to um, deconstruct and get to that question of what if there is no God and and but what if I'm wrong? Like what if I'm wrong? Yeah. That anxiety and the panic attacks that I was having where I'd be like hyperventilating on the floor and up mm-hmm. all night, the triggers of deconstructing based on the failure of theology in my life and the the severe issues it was creating not only in my marriage but in my ability to move forward and make decisions the the panic and anxiety that came from that that then led to deconstruction which led to more panic and anxiety has created or did create basically like a 7 year uh, stint of chronic insomnia and Krista you were with me through yeah. <laughs> a lot of that um, where I would have maybe two all-nighters a week uh, with very little sleep in between I was in a really bad way for a really long time because of this deep fear in my life about being wrong and going the wrong way and doing the wrong thing and all the perfectionist things that come with the theology that we've been talking about of strict conformity to the community and strict conformity to to um, a certain set of belief systems that sort of demand that of you and you've given up your ability to say no to to those ideas because you you lose that connection with um, your family with your community with God himself and so that whole bundle where the failure of theology and the things that I had internalized were severely impacting the quality of my life as an adult and how I was finding meaning for myself, stepping into my own body, my sexuality, my um, path forward, my ambition, my mm-hmm. inability in my life to have been able to use my uh, intellect and go to school. Yeah. Um, that I had self-edited because I didn't want to be led astray by secular institutions and I didn't want to be led astray by idols and things that I really liked to do, but I was worried it would lead me down this dark path of um, ultimately stepping too far from God and falling off that proverbial edge. And so all of that uh, terrible theology was creating all this instability in my life and these really negative impacts on how I thought about myself. It was fueling my eating disorder that got worse and worse and worse the more I tried to use God and theology to tackle it. Um, And then the deconstruction and that fear and that losing uh, community, losing uh, your strict frameworks, losing all your easy answers to reality, losing all of that then solidified these deep sort of anxieties and panic attacks and uh, I had intense demon dreams because I was worried I was wrong and the demons were going to get me and uh, the insomnia was untenable it was brutal Um, and I've come out the other side with counseling and help cognitive behavioral therapy uh, hypnotherapy rejecting a lot of that terrible stuff Um, yeah, it's 
only once I turned away from that theology and God and stopped trying to use those frameworks as answers to what I was suffering from, did I start to heal and get better. And now I'm in a position where I've never been in such an amazing position with myself and my body and my um, health and my partner and Mm -hmm. friends because I can finally just decide and be myself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Be myself and, and, and go where I feel like my gut leads or where my understanding of situations leads versus constantly Mm -hmm. suppressing myself and constantly undermining my own experience and my own brain by trying to realign to what the quote unquote correct way is, even though my body and my brain and my heart and everything is pulling in another direction, I no longer am at war with my body where I'm subduing everything in myself just to be right and just to be in the right way. I'm now like, I don't need that anymore. I can actually follow myself and have a holistic relationship with myself as a woman, with just being a human in this human body. Yeah, so that was a bit of a rant, but thoughts. No, I think that is good. And we'll we'll wrap up here pretty quick, but I just wanted to highlight in – in response to your your quote-unquote rant, I think it, it was really helpful, that it's such a lifelong journey that we don't, like, as far as I know, and in her article, she, she highlights this too, that it's a lifelong journey of healing, but we've gotten a lot better in our years of deconstructing, mm-hmm. but there's always almost a new leaf that we uncover, and it's maybe not as intense or crazy-making as the initial stages, but... It really is um, a journey of healing, and for me, where I'm at right now is I feel like I'm I'm in a really good spot as well. But I I'm realizing more and more that I have this underdeveloped sense of self mm. and ability to make decisions mm. for myself. And I'm a really smart person, and I'm not trying to be cocky by saying that to our listeners. I I graduated at the top of my class and yet I'm in this position in my life where I know that I can be ambitious and I can do things and yet I find myself in um, just repetitive motions of Mm. cleaning the house Mm -hmm. and doing the things that a good woman and a good wife does and what has been modeled to me year in and year out of my entire life and that's not necessarily just theology but it's also modeling in the church structure I was in my family and trying just because I'm cognitively aware that I'm doing these things doesn't give me the skill set and the ability to change them on my own yeah you know like I I need intervention even though I'm cognitively aware of what I'm doing and I don't like it I don't seem to have the ability to actually... It's different tools, right? Yeah, it's just like I'm so under-practiced and being like, okay, well, I'm in a partnership now, and the house needs to be cleaned, and the food needs to be made, and the baby needs to be taken care of, and he has needs that I need to attend to, and yet I also want to do something more with myself, but I don't know how to do that Mm -hmm. in practice. Even if I try to make myself some action steps and stuff, I always revert back to... Cleaning the house. Feeling okay. Yeah. Unless those kind of 
preliminary things are done. It's almost like I don't have the right to be ambitious until the laundry's done, and until the food is made, and until my husband is happy, and like all these kind of things. And no matter how much I wrestle with those thoughts, my body ends up going through the same motions again. Just my current leaf that I have uncovered. Yeah, but I think it's hilarious, Krista, because you literally word for word just said what I just said to our therapist on Friday where because there's yeah because there's frustrations with how I've not moved forward and the very framework of my existence has seems to have been set around gendered roles and expectations of being both a good woman and a good Christian and a good wife and yeah. a lot of these things, I mean, are are broader in society, like uh, patriarchy in general, expecting that women both now work full time, but also do the bulk of the quote unquote, housely or domestic duties. Um, and that's shown across the board in, in, um, in studies that women disproportionately still do the majority of the caring work, the majority mm-hmm. of the housework and domestic duties um compared to to men even though both are working full-time so that's not just church culture but church culture particularly tends to be quite hierarchical and quite patriarchal and and so it really embeds those things and i had said to my partner in our session where he was sort of saying you know as a young person he kind of if he wanted to do something he said he felt quite free to and not in a negative selfish aspect but in a selfish way to go out and grab and do the things that he that he felt like he should be doing or wanted to do and i just said i have all of these mental hurdles before i even feel like i could be that selfish and do those things i have all of these mental hurdles that as soon as I see him struggling or someone else struggling, I'm like, is the house clean? Are lunches made? Do we have nutrients in our bodies? Has everyone, you know, do we have fresh sheets on the bed? It's like a control issue thing where what seems overwhelming to me, AKA having a career and being ambitious in the ways I should be ambitious or want to be ambitious. um, Mm -hmm. I just have a coping thing because it seems so overwhelming and I don't have the tools to to jump into those things. It's easier for me just to revert to all the things that, like you said, were modeled to me and shown to me as safe and quote unquote good and quote unquote helpful ways to function in my life, which is being the supportive person, being the help meet, being the... And it does feel good on one level, right? Like there there is some sort of satisfaction. It feels practical and good, yes. Yeah, and then yet at the same time, even though it kind of feels practical and good, it also feels nasty because there's like the underlying dissatisfaction with the trajectory. Like, are we just going to continue doing the housework? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so I think that that's important to point out that like it just because like we were talking about how it all, to pay attention to your body and give yourself the um, permission almost yeah. to, to follow your own lead. But this is where it gets complex because when we fall into our modeling, there is something that feels normal or right. Or, or safe, right? There's a comfort yeah. in feeling safe yeah. versus a comfort in feeling stretched, stretched and challenged. And yeah. I think it's so important feel, to, you yeah. You feel good in some respects at the same time that you're feeling yeah. Like annoying 
or dissatisfaction and it's all there at the same time and and again none of it's a judgment on any specific tasks i also like we talked about i also rebel against this idea that we're just supposed to be productive people and everyone's supposed to be unique and accomplish all these things all the time you're supposed to be this and look at all the skills you have you should be doing this and you could be doing this a lot of that is just like the capitalist productivity of just never being at peace and at calm where you just have to do 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 all the time which is also a distraction away from rest and away from just being present and living your life in a calm way so it's not about oh you know housework is bad or careers are bad or whatever it's not that it's that inability to move beyond what you were modeled and trained was the good thing to do and the right thing to do as a woman or as a wife or for you as a mother Um, and all of these layered expectations that you find easier to do and easier to cope with because we weren't modeled or told other ways to exist as women in the world and I think there's something uh, uh, a friend and I had gone to Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Big Magic, which I thought was a really great book. If anyone reads it, who's yeah, it's a great who's book. A, yeah creative person, right? But she had mentioned something about when she was struggling as a writer, and she kept saying, you know, she had this mentor woman who uh, was an artist and lived off of her art, and she was a young girl living in New York, and she was wanted to be a writer, and she'd always tell this artist, she'd be like, I want to be an artist, I want, or I want to be a writer, I want to be a writer, how do you do it? And basically, this woman was tortured by her, and she just said, you know, when are you going to actually do the thing that you say you so badly want to do? And she sort of pointed out to Elizabeth Gilbert that, oh, you know, oh, you have time for a boyfriend. Oh, you have time to clean your house. Oh, you have time to um, watch all your favorite TV shows. Oh, you're exercising. Oh, you have time to go to lunch. Because Elizabeth Gilbert was always complaining, I don't have time to write. I don't have time to write. I wish I had more time to write. And she was like you have the time you're just not willing to sort of yeah you're prioritizing and you're not willing to sacrifice certain things in order to achieve what you want and i'm like oh yeah that's totally me it's like i say i want i want i want all these things and on, on on a level i do but it's very panicky for me to set aside all the duties that I'm supposed to do to be a good person, a good wife, a good spouse, a good whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very difficult for me to set those things aside, the mundane things in order to just say, well, I don't care if we don't have laundry. Like it's my, I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to, you know, do my writing or I'm going to, you know, look for jobs or be able to focus on my writing while my house. is Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The state of my house isn't going to affect my brain at all because I have no moral, you know, sways about how terrible it looks. And so like even little things like that in terms of the deepness of not just religion, but systems in general of how we can progress like you said, it's like a new leaf you turn over. You think you're getting so far. And you're like, oh, I actually feel good about myself now. And I feel like I yeah. have the confidence. And, and then you you're like, getting somewhere. Yeah, you are, you are. Progress. And then you're like, the dishes are dirty. I have to go do them. <laughs> you know, yeah. but. Lifelong journey. Lifelong. Just for a recap, we have discussed that religious trauma syndrome is a range of set and symptoms from experiences that some of us have faced as a result of harmful and traumatic religious experiences from authoritarian dogmatic religious beliefs um, and as we 
discussed, it's a two-fold problem or a two-punch problem where the actual teachings and practices can be really harmful and then leaving or leaving aspects, even just leaving an aspect of it can be very difficult and reflect significant losses. And I think the bulk of our conversation really has just been on how extensive that can impact your life and your identity and um, just the long, over the long haul, like it's not like a one year journey where you, you really think through just a couple of the core <laughs> faith and you move on. That's really cute. Um, yeah. <laughs> just like the extent that it can actually affect you and your relationships and your life and your support. And there's so much more to be said about this too, but um, just for today's episode, I, I think that the the real focus and the drive home factor is just the spectrum of experiences and symptoms that you can experience um, out there and giving yourself some credit and actually listening to yourself and your body uh, is a really important and uh, beautiful thing to do. So that's kind of where what I've taken away from it. I don't know if you have some other thoughts that you wanted to highlight, Sarah, before we ended. No, I was just really proud proud that we basically ended at the one hour mark and so okay. I, I won't probably have to edit a lot out or down um so that's great for me yeah usually we talk for like two or three yeah. hours and then somehow Sarah and then I... edits it down into 40 minutes <laughs> it's like whole entire tangents that have to be cut out because they just lead random yeah. places so yeah so I think um yeah like Krista said, that was the plan today was just to even define what religious trauma syndrome was and what some of those symptoms look like. And Chris and I will probably discuss more at length some of those particular symptoms that we struggled with um, because sometimes I feel like we are talking about ideas and we're not actually giving very real detrimental things that have impacted our lives. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that'll be something that we explore. We're getting excited because we're hopefully setting up some interviews as well coming forward. And we don't have them all lined up yet, uh, but we're going to be looking... I'm super excited about Yeah, that. we're going to be looking at, at shame and, and other issues with body. And we're hoping, too, to d eventually discuss uh, child development things. So we are excited about that. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will sign off for today. Bye.